This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Welcome to Mom and Mind, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. It's so much more than postpartum depression. We raise the volume on all of these topics in the hopes that someday everyone will have the support and info that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. In our episode today, we are going to be touching on a topic that concerns a lot of people and really is high stress for a lot of people, and that is colic. If your baby has had colic, then you know exactly what we're talking about. But if you've heard of colic and you're not quite sure what that means, you're not alone. A lot of people don't know what it means. And colic can encapsulate quite a few things that a baby could be going through. But very specifically, it's long periods of crying and a lot of difficulty being soothed. Our guest today, Jacqueline Delvecchio, is going to share her story and experience with colic with her first child, and then the symptoms and triggers that led to postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. She's going to talk about how this experience really affected her and her mental health, as well as pushed her into specializing in perinatal mental health. Jackie Delvecchio is a licensed mental health counselor in Salem, Massachusetts. She works in a private practice setting and specializes in perinatal mental health certified through PSI. She's a wife, a mother of two, and as well as a mom to a chocolate lab. Let's hear from Jackie. Welcome, Jacqueline. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I just know that so many people will be able to resonate with your story before even hearing it because I hear about colic so much and how hard it is and how it contributes to, you know, anxiety and and depression. So I'm really happy to have you here to share this so that others out there can know that they're not alone and be able to to find ways to cope. Yeah, Um, absolutely. It is. It's a tough one. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, go ahead and start wherever you'd like with your story. Great. So 2016, we had our first child who was um, our daughter. And I had a great pregnancy, actually really loved being pregnant, you know, some heartburn here or there, but overall, everything was great. I actually felt better being pregnant than not. So Mm. um, that all went smooth. The (laughs) birth all went smooth. Everything was fine. So the second day in the hospital, like when 
it was the middle of the night and the nurses were bringing her back to the room to feed, I heard one say, wow, she's a really colic baby. Oh, and gosh. I was like half asleep. And this was day uh-huh. two. And, and I didn't really know anything about colic at that point. And my husband had gone home to be with the duck. So he wasn't there that, that night. And, and I was like, oh, that's weird. But I just kind of like was in and I obviously was on minimal sleep. I didn't think anything of it <laughs> until mm-hmm. we got home. And so it was pretty smooth the first day or two home. You know, we kind of expected, you know, that she would sleep a lot because she's a new baby and eat mm-hmm. and poop and all that. But it started very quickly where she was crying all day. And this was in the first week of her life. And so typically, if people don't know much about colic is, you know, it usually will start to peak around, you know, two, four, six eight weeks, you know, like not, not usually the first few days. And so we were just really confused. And is this what it's like? You know, do they just, do they just cry a lot? So it, it went on for a while. And so we went in with the PCP and we talked to her and I actually looked back at the records because me and my husband had, um, you know, we couldn't remember it correctly because it was such a blur for us back then that I looked back at the records and it was day nine that our pediatrician basically said, you know, it was colic and kind of what to expect. So it was diagnosed pretty early. I mean, the nurses caught it day two, apparently, which is like unheard of. So it lasted probably close to seven months. When the doctor said, oh, the first three or four months, you know, usually is typically what it is. It was not three or four Mm -hmm. months, you know. Mm -hmm. And so it's also just, it's tough because you don't even know what it is. Is it, you know, gastrointestinal? Is it just an unexplained thing where babies cry constantly and, and barely anything soothes them? You know, it's just so confusing because there's not concrete information out there. Right. So in that time, in those seven months, I mean, we went to the doctors, she was on reflux medications, we had multiple formula changes. I mean, I gave up, I, I could not deal with the, the pumping and the breastfeeding because it was just, it was just too much, you know, yeah. too much crying. And she was just in pain after every time she ate, she loved to eat. Uh-huh. But after every bottle, just it was inconsolable. Uh-huh. You know, the the typical back arching, you mm-hmm. know, clenching, mm-hmm. so nothing, nothing would help in the beginning. So we went through lots and lots of different specialty formulas, went to a gastro and, you know, intestinal doctor for her. And we finally ended up on, you know, a regimen that but by that time, she was like six, six months. So, you know, it was older that her system was, you know, maturing a little bit more anyways, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, so where they say you usually it's like the sphincter muscles that mature by one years old, you know, that's when they typically have a lot less trouble with the digesting and the reflux. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking, Oh, my God, I can't wait till a year. But it ended up being, you know, close, close to, you know, seven months. And so in that time, I mean, really, the only things that brought some relief or peace for her, you know, to, to calm down was we would bounce on a um, yoga ball, uh-huh. like a, a yoga ball for hours, uh-huh. hours at a time. Oh, man. And that's, how I know, it, it was a good workout, though, to be honest. <laughs> it, was, it was, you know, I got my core back by doing that. But, but that's how she had to nap. 
that's how oh. we had to do you know like when anytime anybody was over they had to bounce with her on the ball to even hold her so she wouldn't cry oh man you know it so that we found that and then the sound of the vacuum so sometimes we would just have to I don't know why it works but sometimes the you know the sound of the vacuum in the background would actually kind of reduce you know her her screams as well you know and then just a funny one was the song Justin Timberlake's song can't stop the feeling I we have you know video (laughs) proof of her you know absolutely inconsolable I put that song on and she would stop. But the second the song came back, you know, stop, she went wow. right back to doing what she was doing. That's so, um, so yeah, it lasted about seven months and it was definitely challenging. And I don't even think we were in survival mode. So I don't even sure. think we really knew what hit us in those seven months. So, I mean, if you can, for people who don't know much about colic, can you walk us through like a typical day of how often she's crying, what you're trying to do to, to soothe her, how you feel while she's crying? Absolutely. So, you know, a lot of colic babies, they actually are crying all through the night and don't sleep through the night. But she was the opposite. She would cry all day. And she, our saving grace was that she slept through the night. Oh, oh. Um, so yeah. So, uh, you know, like I said, once again, it's sometimes just confusing. It doesn't really make sense. But mm. so a typical day would be she would be fine when she woke up. But the second she had her bottle, we knew, okay, the next two hours, you know, we're going to be bouncing on a ball, we're going to be, you know, doing all these things and trying to, to stop it until it was the next feeding time. And she was great. When she was feeding, she loved food, she would be good probably for about 15 minutes. But then after 15 minutes of eating, it would start the cycle all over again. So it was basically all day. And so it was uh, very isolating, because we didn't want to take her anywhere. We didn't want right, to, right. we didn't want it to like feeding time and know that as soon as we fed her, then she would be, you know, inconsolable. And we didn't want to be anywhere at somebody's house. So we, we tend to just kind of, you know, stay home a lot and, and just deal with it. And um, so it felt, like I said, it felt very isolating. And it was a very helpless feeling. Uh, because, right. you know, the the expectation is that, or even just the idea of, of, you know, parenting is you have a baby, they're gonna cry, because they're hungry, or they're tired, or they need to have their diaper changed, and then they're okay. Mm. But that's not true for everybody. And so we would meet all of those needs, and it and it wouldn't matter. So it was very helpless of what can I do? You know, this, I'm doing all these things that they're saying, and nothing's helping this poor baby, who's in pain. And so the, the big, the big thing that I think was my number one symptom was guilt. Mm. And it didn't necessarily make any sense. I mean, it does now looking back at it, but I just felt guilty for everything. I felt guilty for anybody coming over and had to like listen to that or had to bounce on the ball just to spend time with her. You know, I felt guilt that they had to listen to it guilt that I couldn't go out, you know, or I didn't want to go out because I didn't want, you know, and so I didn't realize how much guilt was a symptom until I came out of it. I was like, wow, I don't actually have to feel guilty for these things. And so Mm -hmm. it was like really eye opening. 
to know that like guilt was such, you know, such a, such a big component of that. Right. And not just for a short bit of time. I mean, that's the months. Yeah. Months of feeling bad. And I didn't know I felt bad for a while. You know, it took me five, I think five months in. That's when I talked to a really good colleague and friend of mine. And I said, I, I need to talk to somebody, you know, and I'm like, this is, and I, I mean, I obviously waited way too long, but I just wasn't, I wasn't grasping it. Like I wasn't recognizing it because I was in survival mode. And yeah. so we were just doing what we needed to do. We were new parents. We, we just, it wasn't recognized. And, but there was one day that hit me and I was feeding her in her room and she was super quiet and it wasn't like a time of screaming and it, but it was the silence that I was like, oh man. I really, really need to talk to somebody about this. This is not, this is not normal. Like this is not okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think it started then because it wasn't as bad as the first few months. It was still like a a lot and all, and most of the day. But I think because she started to like get a little bit more calmer, I had more time to think and I had more time to kind of reflect on what the heck just happened? Like, what is going on? So that is when I was like, okay, now that like, we're slowly getting out of this, I need to I need to take care of myself. This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go. And that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Uliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell?, laughing in the face of motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. So what did you come to find was happening for you? So... As far as like symptoms, you mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. So definitely, like I said, the guilt, I would just cry. I, I was sitting in my mom's house one time and she, they were, we were trying to get her to nap because she was just, we had to hold her for her naps for this for six months. And 
they were trying to put her in the bassinet and everybody's trying to give their suggestions and just trying to help out and hey did you try this or what about this and you know I felt like people obviously like didn't didn't really understand we were trying everything and I know they were trying to help but that would make me feel worse too because I you know it's like shame it's like no you know like oh my god I'm not trying these things or am I not doing a good job should Mm. I be doing something different so I remember sitting in her house and I just like hysterically started crying. She's like, what's the matter? And I was like, I don't know. I just uh, feel so guilty about everything. And yeah. she was, she was, she just wasn't sure, you know, what to say. So definitely tearfulness, guilt, you know, try, like isolating a little just because I, it was just too much to even think about handling in public. Yeah. And, and, and definitely anger. I mean, I was, I was very jealous of seeing other people with their babies out and about who are not inconsolably crying. And so I felt like I was robbed. And I felt like very sad that my first experience, like I I was like, I was missing out, you know, and I, Mm -hmm. I, my, my therapist, I said to her one day, I said, I just feel really sad for like, we barely have any pictures. Um, of my daughter with anybody when she was a baby because you just couldn't really get them there's like a few like ones that we really cherished that she's smiling and it's like wonderful but I just felt I'm like I just feel so bad for my family that they just don't have these pictures of her like being able to hold a tiny cute little baby you know so I felt really sad about all the like almost like a grief feeling yeah you know I felt like I was missing out, you know, on a lot and a lot of things. All right. I mean, there is so much time and effort and energy spent on just trying to figure out what was wrong or what was going on with her and, and problem solving. How, how could you how could you have time to really settle in and think about, you know, how it's affecting you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was definitely like a, a full time job trying to just constantly, you know, either go to doctors or try try different things and see what works. And it, it was a lot, you know, and I actually was surprised, like, it took me probably a year or two to really figure out how traumatic it was too. like now, now that I've learned more and, you know, uh, have um, gotten more, which we'll get to, but more training in, in perinatal mental health, you know, it was very traumatic for me. I mean, I would have flashbacks anytime I heard a baby crying in the way that, you know, there's a very specific colic cry. Um, It's very, (laughs) very distressing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What, what is that? I mean, not, not that I want you to make that sound, but what does it sound like? um, And what does it do to you? So it's like really high pitched, you know, people actually compare it to kind of like a, like a dinosaur, like a velociraptor pterodactyl Mm. type Mm -hmm. noise. And, I remember we said it one day that it sounded like that. And then when we were doing research, of course, you know, people were like, oh, yeah, that's the, you know, they call it cry. And we're like, oh, no, you know, so, mm-hmm. and it just goes straight, oh, straight to your bones. And, uh-huh. you know, I remember reading an article that babies crying are like top, top two or three distressing sounds that you know yeah. one can hear, you know, right. and so... Right. And that's a normal baby mm-hmm. cry, mm-hmm. you know, never one that, never mind one that is, you know, ongoing for, for hours at a time and there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, it is, it's really hard. <laughs> sure. I mean, I, I imagine like a panic feeling for you 
you know, whenever that, that happens, at least in the beginning, because you're just, yeah, did it feel panicky for you? Yeah, it's so hard to like put a put a word to it, you know, definitely panicky, definitely, like I said, just like this helpless feeling. And you're just like, so sensitive to it. Um, you know, but you're also very frustrated, you know, and, and I think that's hard for people to admit is, you know, you don't want to be mad at your baby for crying. But we're also human. And it's hard to listen to that for hours on end with nothing that you can do. And so it it does get to you. Did you experience like irritability or rage or anything with that? Definitely irritability. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I would classify it, you know, as rage, I think I would just more go inward, mm-hmm. and just cry. Um, yeah. And I would just like, put you know, put myself in a different room, take a take a break. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and just more tearfulness, you know, but definitely we were snappy with each other, because it's just, you know, it's just a lot of <laughs> tension, you know, and a lot of anxiety. So definitely irritable. And I think it actually caused me to be quite, quite cynical, mm. and kind of projecting it. And so like when parents or people would say, Oh, you know, this is going to be awesome. And I'd be like, Oh, okay. (laughs) You know, just (laughs) just wait and see, which I now looking back, I'm like, Oh, you know, I hate that I did that. But it was what I was going through. Of course, my experience, you know, I was projecting that projecting that out, because mine was not as awesome as I expected it to be. It was not what I had envisioned with my with my child. So it, it was tough, you know, kind of being being negative in that sense, because everybody's experiences is different. So I can't really say that there's wasn't going to be so um, yeah, that 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 negativity part definitely came with I'm sure the jealousy and just just being sad. Right, you you just spoke about all the the expectations and hopes that you had for parenthood. And this this was not it. Obviously, that those first seven months, at least were not it. And I imagine there's some grief in that too, just that this this is not what I wanted this to be like. For sure. Yeah. Like I said, in the beginning, you're thinking, okay, I can handle this. I'm not going <laughs> to sleep for a while. Right. You know, they'll cry. Well, you know, these are the things that you do. And But yeah, I'm going to love my baby so much, it's not going to matter. <laughs> and unfortunately, you know, like I said, that doesn't always go that way. You're like, whoa, what is this? You know, why is nothing that I'm doing helping? Mm-hmm. My baby's rejecting me. You know, I'm not able to soothe them. I can't help them. Uh, like all of these kind of like shameful thoughts just go through your head when you cannot help your baby. And so I've learned, of course, that you are helping your baby, even if they're still crying and mm-hmm. being there to comfort and, and you know, hold and and soothe them in other ways. I mean, I know that I was doing a lot um, for her, but she just couldn't tell me at that part, you know, so it was not very rewarding, Uh because, um, you know, I wasn't getting that, hey, you're doing a great job, mom, you know, I'm gonna be okay. So you can't get that from, from an infant. But so the expectation of that was, was very different, which I think, for most things in life, right, is, when we have those and it doesn't happen, it's, it's pretty hard to adjust to that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Very difficult. So this, this was a long chunk of time, too. Mm-hmm. Um, after you said around seven months, 
she started to feel a bit better. And what happened for you? What was your uh, process through this? So I think being a therapist, I think that was actually kind of a barrier for me mm-hmm. because I'm thinking in my head, I'm a therapist. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I know all these skills. I'm very, you know, trained in them. I teach people them, you know, like I, I can handle this. I shouldn't, right. I shouldn't be having a difficult time with this. So mm-hmm. it took me a while to really actually admit that, um, which is when, you know, I, I, I sought a therapist. So it was hard for me to recognize that. Yeah. Um, and I think being a therapist definitely made it made it more difficult. I think other things that kind of made it harder was, you know, even with the doctors, they, we would go like, even on that day nine, when we brought her, it was like, yeah, it sounds like colic, you know, and that uh, was it. And I'm oh. like, no, hey, listen, you're going to be struggling. You know, this is uh, what it's really like, you know, and like no information or even like a heads up uh-huh. about what that is like. And, and this is definitely something that can trigger and cause so much anxiety and depression for people, especially if it's not talked about or, right, you know, right. understood you know, you, we just went home thinking, okay, you know, what does that mean? (laughs) Man. Wow. Yeah. Super, super challenging, but really there. So, I mean, obviously there's not enough resources to help you (laughs) or people don't know about them. (laughs) Exactly. It's kind of like, well, you know, this it's, it's gonna, it's temporary and there's nothing actually wrong with your baby. So like, there's no harm that's coming of it. There's, you know, it is temporary. So it's kind of like, you know, poo pooed, which I know is a bigger picture of how, you know, mothers, there's not enough resources or even attention, you know, put on them. Um, So that's a totally different, you know, subject, but, but colic in in general, I mean, is, it was very minimized, which I think, you know, did not help us at all, you know, be able to kind of process that as we went along, because even when we went to the the specialist, she's like, "Eh, yeah, you could switch the formula if you want to, but you I don't really think you need to. And so we pushed for it because all we did was research and advocate. Uh, yeah. We're like, no, something, we got to do something. We cannot do this anymore. And so we did switch a formula and there was actually a big, significant, like uh, significant change after doing that. She wasn't spitting up as much and, and she definitely seemed a lot more comfortable. So I'm really glad we pushed for that. But even, even the specialist was like, no, you know, I think, I think you'll be fine. Wow. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Right. So for for people who are on the ground, so to speak, dealing with this day to day, it I I imagine hearing somebody say there was nothing wrong with your child, and you hear the screeching every day. That sounds like something's wrong with my child. And for you know for it to be explained away in a sense, gosh, that must be frustrating. But it it leaves you feeling like okay, well, I guess I gotta figure this out by myself. Or by ourselves. Right. And so that I think also led to the like, all right, I guess this is just normal, right? So uh-huh. it it also was like, okay, maybe I don't need help. Maybe this is just what it's like. And and I just remember thinking constantly, like, how do people have multiple children? Uh-huh. I like how do they do this? This is really, really awful sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, not realizing that that's not everybody's experience. But um you know, it, it, it was, it was challenging. And, 
even like with friends and you know, sometimes they would really try to help and they would say, Oh, yeah, no, my baby's been super fussy today, too. And I'm like, Oh, yeah, <laughs> I don't, I, you know, <laughs> little, little different. But you know, and I, I don't want to take away from from their experience either. Right, right. Because, you know, any type, anytime a baby is fussy, it's, it's really distressing. But yeah, um, you know, that kind of kept me away sometimes, too, because I'm like, No, you don't understand what I mean by fussy this isn't just fussy like this is a painful distressing inconsolable experience and it's draining very draining yeah yeah um right so there you are as therapist thinking I should I should be able to deal with this and and not getting help but then also feeling not like you have to defend yourself to other people but geez they just don't get it Yeah, that's just, that's so hard. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. So how did you eventually get to a point where you said, okay, I'm, I'm going to get help now? Yeah. I mean, after those first five months, I just, I think the cliche phrases that comes up come up for a lot of moms is just like, I just didn't feel myself. You know, I just wasn't, I was not happy. I wanted nothing to think about. Like, I did not want to think about having another kid ever again. Mm -hmm. You know, like I was not Mm -hmm. enjoying that experience. And, and like I said, the guilt piece just was, was too much. Like I, I felt bad for people watching her. I felt, felt bad for not letting people watch her. I felt, yeah. So it was just a constant battle in my head all day and and so I reached out to to one of my good friends and 
I just said, please, do you, do you have anyone? Like, <laughs> I really, really need to talk to somebody. Um, and so, you know, then I, then I started weekly therapy, which was absolutely great. I, I needed that and I needed yeah. a, that space. I mean, even in then I would cry most of the session, you know, in mm-hmm. the beginning and, and be able to, to, to get that out and, and just process some of it was definitely amazing. What was your experience with therapy? How did it help you? Um, obviously, you said the processing through stuff, which is actually huge. People, I don't think, give enough credit to talking through things. That's incredibly relieving. But in addition to that, what, what else did you find that was helpful? I think uh, normalizing a lot of it. Yeah, I think I had a lot of, you know, different shameful thoughts or, you know, like, I'm, I'm a bad mom, or am I doing this right? Like to be able to normalize so many things that were in my head, that I was thinking, I'm, I'm the only mom who's thinking this, you know, who right. I'm the only mom who, you know, some days wants to run away and not be a mom anymore. You know, right. I realized that that was not true. <laughs> that mm-hmm. happens all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Because it's, you know, in that moment, it means that, we're just too overwhelmed and we need a break. And, you know, like we need, we need something like there are other needs not being met at that time. So, you know, to be able to like take those thoughts and make sure that we're not, you know, interpreting it in a specific way, right. Thoughts are just thoughts. So being able to normalize them and realize that they can come and go and don't necessarily mean anything about our ability to be a mom was really huge. Um, And I think the biggest lesson was that we are all on the same level. And Mm -hmm. so I had put myself on a higher level as being a therapist, but I was forgetting that I'm just a human too, Mm -hmm. right? Because I was thinking my profession, I, I have to be able to do this. And so I think that was the best lesson for me is that, nope, we're all humans. Yeah, and you can yeah. be trained in anything right. when we go through a, you know, a tra- traumatic or challenging experience, you're going to experience the same emotions just as anybody. And you may need that extra support or self care during that time. And it does not exclude you because you're right. trained in the field. All right. So um, you were already a therapist, not quite specializing yet. What, what led you well, finally, just to start specializing that experience 100% because once again, it was something I just did not expect. And it led me to feel so, so sad for all the parents out there yeah. that are faced with things that they just did not picture, right? Whether mm-hmm. it's a child being sick or, you know, what whatever it may come, you know, that unexpected thing that happens and how how difficult it can be to, you know, accept to, to deal with. And so I really wanted to be more educated on kind of how to how to help moms, dads, parents, you know, whoever it may be, you know, caring for, for these babies of making sure that they know, they're not alone. There's a lot right. of support out there. And, you know, most 99% of the time, you know, your thoughts are, are pretty normal, you know, it's mm-hmm. just what we're what we do with them. So I wanted to, you know, to be able to be that person to, to help normalize it for them and help them prepare for certain things that, that may come and, and just just share that journey with them because parenting is darn, you know, darn challenging. <laughs> it sure is, right, <laughs> right. 
Uh, so what have you learned along the way about the effects of colic on parents? That it's definitely not researched enough. Yeah. <laughs> but that it absolutely is a trigger to it. And when something is not either researched or just kind of looked over, it's very hard to convince people like, hey, no, this is actually something pretty, you know, challenging and traumatic. Mm -hmm. Because if it's not, it's not like on paper somewhere, you know, then it's, it's not true. But it, it, so definitely leading to the depression and anxiety and, and long, long periods of it, of course, because once again, it goes back to how distressing something is. And if we're exposing ourselves to it for hours and hours a day and not getting help, Mm-hmm. it's 100% going to impact us, you know, our yeah. mood. So I wish there was more mm-hmm. out there, but it absolutely is an, a factor and it does come up in the, you know, risk factors, especially of, of for second children. If, you know, if you had it, if you experienced it in the, in the first child, you know, it can kind of be one of those factors that can contribute to postpartum depression or anxiety the second time around. Oh, sure. If you have two colicky kiddos or just just even the postpartum, even if the second child isn't colicky, I wonder. Yeah, I think I think it was more, you know, like already having a yes, a baby that did have colic can uh-huh. make it more likely that you'll experience it, among other things. But it's, sure. it's kind of lower on the list. But mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, that's definitely one thing I learned is that there needs to be a lot more research out there. What do you, well, what are your tips for parents who are dealing with colic now? And I mean, obviously you have your own experience and it sounds like therapy and support is really useful. Um, But in what way do you help other people with this now? Is a lot of self-care, which I know, I mean, this is a very general term, but what I mean by that is making sure that parents have their time, even if it's a five, 10, 15 minute break where you can step away and whether that's accepting you know uh, i think a big one is people learning to accept help from others and because we definitely need a village when it comes to that and i know this year has made it very challenging for people to have a village because we're supposed to be staying away from everybody but so being able to ask for so definitely skills on asking for help but also accepting it Mm. And because we are, we are offered help a lot and no, 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 that's okay. Which I did the same thing because I felt too bad. And you know, I know I don't want you to listen to her crying for an hour. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? Other people, they get to go home, you know, one hour of their (laughs) life is nothing. You deal with it for hours and hours a day. So they're going to be okay. And they're Uh not going to experience it in the same way that, that we are. So being able to ask and accept for help, to be able to educate themselves for sure, and and advocate for themselves, Mm -hmm. much like with with the the doctors and and whatnot, and and, and like I said, self-care, taking Mm -hmm. breaks, making sure you have time to exercise, or at least, you know, get out for walks, fresh air, not not doing it in the house where the baby is crying, because Mm -hmm. you want to be able to separate if you can from that because otherwise it's just going to continue to be more more distressing and yeah. really counter, counterintuitive to what what you're looking for it's it, it seems like it is so overstimulating to have the the constant 
cry uh, or, yes. you know, even if it's not 24 seven, if it's, you know, ha- at least half the day or whatever, just having your nervous system be like, I can't take it anymore. You know, exactly. Uh, be- because we're not built to, um, I right. like, um, <laughs> to be on that level of, of vigilance and alarm all the time is really does a number on it, just your nervous system mm. keeps you. It tried. sure does. It sure <laughs> does. And even afterwards we had my second child and we were so hypervigilant mm. and, and sensitive to anything. I, I would have flashbacks anytime he would cry, like just a normal yeah. cry, but like anytime he would cry, all right, is this, is this starting? Is it starting? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, I think that like we, we waited until like the fourth or fifth week to finally say like, I, I think we're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Or even if we're not, it's not going to be like it was before when yeah. it started day two. Right. Cause I asked the nurse in the hospital on day two with him and I said, how is he? you know, did, mm. was he crying all night? Like, how mm-hmm. was it? And she's like, oh, no, he was totally fine. And I explained the story to her and she's like, no, they can't tell if, if they're colic day two. I'm like, <laughs> oh, well, they definitely said it. And they were uh-huh. definitely true. So, I mean, they were definitely right. So, so uh-huh. I just kept double checking and sure. we were just so yeah. anxious for weeks, just waiting and waiting, waiting and seeing if he was also going to be colic. But he was not. And, um, but we were very prepared this time around, which I think is another thing that I like to help people with mm-hmm. is being very prepared with a plan. Like, what yeah. are you going to do this time around yeah, yeah. to really take care of yourself? And that makes all so much sense. And it, it sounds doable in terms of the, you know, the, the tips and the, and the ways that you are supporting people. It's, it's not some far out thing that you're suggesting that people do. This is, I mean, gosh, it would be nice to do this all the time in preparing for babies. But certainly, I mean, that that's such an experience that you had as a family mm-hmm. to be just on edge like that for so long. Yeah. So the, the, besides, you know, therapy for me, of course, it was the planning for the second child and what I was going to do differently this time. And mm-hmm. because I knew what I did last time, which was really nothing, was not going to cut it. And so um, I had a really, really good, good plan of support and, you know, exercise and all of these things that really, really made it a lot easier for me this time around. So I took care of myself and I asked for help and I accepted help and I oh, had all these plans. And so it was a significant you know, difference from the first time around because I knew what to expect just in case, you know, I knew yeah. that it could, you know, not, not be so pleasant. Um, and so I had, had all angles covered. <laughs> Grace. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm hopeful that you sharing your experience through this, uh, you know, for the people out there who are listening, who are either worried about um, uh, their baby having colic or going through it themselves can hear so clearly that there are actionable steps, even if it's not that, you know, specifically that your baby will stop crying uh, or be in pain. But man, all all the stuff you've done around that to help yourself is, um, you know, takes that, takes the edge off, helps, helps you be able to still be there for them like you want to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And just want everybody to know they're doing a wonderful job, even if your baby does not stop crying, you know, that does not, you know, equate to you being a good parent or not, 
um, mm-hmm. which is a really, really important lesson, um, you know, so that affection and comfort and all of that makes a makes a big difference. So, you know, there are a lot of things to, to do to make it easier on yourself, not necessarily, like you said, the, the baby crying less but we need to take care of ourselves even more because of that. Absolutely. Is there anything else you want to say to people, hopeful messages, or do you feel like you got those in too? So yeah, my intention, of course, is to not scare anybody about the seven months. You know, I want um, you to know that, that there is help out there. And there are a lot of practical ways to, you know, to help ourselves really, you know, a lot of self-care, self-soothing, and a lot of you know, processing on our own to be able to just get that support a little bit more. And I, I waited too long and not too long. I waited, I waited long enough that it took a little bit longer for me to be able to get that together. So my suggestion is even new parents who, you know, who aren't experiencing this, it's, it's great to get that support and to talk to people because it's a new experience. And Mm -hmm. anytime we're in a new transition or it's hard to adjust to that and we're new at it. So we're not supposed to know what to do. And so that, that support and that help is great anyways. So I think uh, there it's, it's a hopeful thing. Yes. It's a temporary thing with colic, but it's challenging and we have that support out there. We just have to accept it. Fantastic. Thank you so much for leaving us with that and that hope for parents that they can get through this too. I appreciate you sharing your experience with us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you again, Jackie, for being with us today and sharing your story and all of this great information with us. For those of you who'd like to get connected with her, go to JacquelineDelVecchio.com or find her on Instagram at But Let's Be Realistic. As usual, please share with at least one person who you know could benefit from this information and knowing that they're not alone. There are many, many families out there dealing with a baby who has colic and not sure what to do and not sure how to cope. And do remember to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't yet already. Thanks for being with us. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.